0: Parshas Toldos It is my goal to develop a cohesive theme permeating the parsha pervasively Parshas Toldos literally meaning generations toldos generations kishma kanti This parsha is all about the the parent-child bond generational dynamics and as we develop it we will see that it really deals with the entire issue of Misora Misora is the bloodstream of Jewish existence to begin the first narrative of Parshas Toldos which is the birth story of Yaakov and Esav, has so many intense storylines about the parent-child bond. It begins with Yitzchak and Rivka's painful trial with infertility. The Chumash discusses Vayetar Yitzchak prayed opposite his wife; he in her his corner, she in her corner, as Rashi explains. A heartfelt scene, which only those who have known the pain of infertility can fully relate to. And it seems to me, Rashi's commentary here—he in his corner praying, she in her, her corner praying—conveys how each one. Is expressing themselves in their lonely place. He in his corner, she in her corner, each one relating different and personally to the struggle from their own lonely corner. And then the parsha continues with a long-awaited pregnancy, the long-awaited conception. But this is a particularly intense pregnancy with particularly intense pregnancy pains. So much so that Rivka herself wonders if it was all worthwhile having these children. in So this is a story which exemplifies the mesiris nefesh of a mother as she endures that unthinkable, unfathomable pain, all in the interests of a child. And then the narrative continues. With the explanation provided to Rivka that the extreme dynamics, live and kicking inside of her, have to do with the unique personalities that are developing inside of her, Yaakov and Asaph. So here we have the phenomenon of children's personalities and uniqueness developed in utero developed in the seat of the womb. Again, a powerful testament to the parent-child bond in terms of the child's essence, the child's future, the child's destiny, coming to life in the gestation and the conception of a mother. And then we have the actual birth. Literally, as Yaakov and Esau leave the birth canal, The Torah describes a tussle, who will come out first. These are children who, on a visceral level, before they even have understanding, are fighting over Bechorah, firstbornhood, an issue which they then continue to tussle about. Yaakov actually purchases the birthright off of Esav as they mature. The issue of Bechorah, firstbornhood, is really all about that coveted role as the most responsible child, the child who bears the family name, the child who made the parent into the parent, the privileges and responsibilities of being that first child in that defining position as a child who made the parent into a parent. So apparently this issue of Bechorah is a very sensitive issue in our story, in this family in the Rivka Yitzchak Yakovesa family, something for which the children skirmish over, literally from the womb. So here we have it in the first narrative in our Parsha. So many intense, deep phenomena of parent-child relationship. Indeed, this is Parsha's told us, in the deepest sense. Let's jump forward now to the end of the parsha, and let's trace the bookend phenomenon. How, just as our parsha is beginning with such deep toldos generational dynamics, it is no less ending with them. The parsha ends with the issue of the bracha, the blessing. Yaakov and Esav again have a skirmish of sorts. Who will receive the blessing? Now this is a blessing which is determining who will be the primary successor of Yitzchak, who will have the who will be the main manifestation of parent-child bond, and it is so clear that this is the issue of the beginning of the parsha. This is the Bechorah issue, rethought, because it is quite clear that Yaakov, that Yitzchak initially offers the, the blessing to, to Esav because he believes that Esav is the Bechar. As the Chumash says quite clearly, Vayikras Esav bin no He calls Esav, he summons Esav to bless him, because Esav is the oldest son. Which in turn explains why Yaakov ultimately deserves to receive the blessing. Because in fact, Yaakov had bought the, the, the Bechorah, the first, the right of the firstborn, from Esav, and therefore he merits the linked blessing blessing, the blessing which is ultimately intended for Benoha Gadol. And Rashi clearly alludes to this when he says that in the end, when Yitzchak figured out what happened, Yitzchak was okay because Yitzchak realized in fact Yaakov is the true Bechar, so he deserves the blessing. And we are actually not the first ones to note that the Yaakov and Esav skirmish at the end of the Parsha, who will receive the blessing, this uncanny deja vu, when Yaakov seems to usurp what's coming to Esav, just as he did regarding the bechor in the beginning of the parsha, is because it's fundamentally the same thing in the same story. One of the players in real time, Esav, himself notes this connection. When he says, here he goes again, here Yaakov goes again. That's why you called him Yaakov, he's tricked me twice. Asaph is not simply saying he's tricked me t- twice in two unrelated stories, but we're appreciating the intensity, the angst of Asaph. This is the same battle we raged, we, f- we fought again. The question of who is the primary child, or at least the primary inheritor, the primary successor. And you will actually note that the Bachorah issue in the beginning of the parsha and the Bracha issue at the end of the parsha. The the correlation between the two is actually hinted to through a succinct mnemonic. Bechorah and bracha, firstborn and blessing, the two issues of the beginning and the end of the parasha respectively, as we have up here on our whiteboard, both are spelled with the same letters in Hebrew. Bechorah, Bez Chaf He and bracha Bez Reish Chaf hey, it is one issue being fought about in the beginning and the end of the Parsha. It's, symmetri- it's rewarding to see, now to see the symmetrical bookends and how they frame our Parsha, how they scaffold our Parsha. As the Parsha of told us, the Parsha of literally meaning generations, parent-child bond, it is bookended by this great battle, by this intense battle of children's drive to reassume their parents legacy each one believing they alone will assume this role and implement their parents misora their way so now with the structure firmly in place and with our confidence well established and fortified we got it, what Parshas told us is all about. Now the question is to dig deeper. What is the secret of Jewish parent-child bond? What is the secret of, of successful generational continuity? The issue in our Parsha. So in this regard... I will turn to the middle of the parsha. In between the two bookends studied before, the Bachorah and the Bracha, I will suggest that the middle of the parsha, you might say the cream in the middle of the sandwich cookie of our parsha, is going to serve as the heart, the essence of what this told us issue, what this generational continuity issue is really all about. The middle of the parsha deals with a story regarding Yitzchak's sojourn into Eretz Plishtim, the land of the Philistines. And the powerful pattern emerging through that story is that Yitzchak is really perpetuating the heritage and the legacy of his own father, Avraham. That, in other words, foretold those to happen, It is insufficient for generational continuity to happen. It is insufficient for Yitzchak to simply attempt to pass on a legacy to the next generation, Yaakov or He himself needs to be committed to the Mesorah, the heritage of, in turn, his own father. This becomes apparent as we study this, middle narrative in our parish of Yitzchak's sojourn in Eretz Pleshtim because you will hear the echo, you will hear the reverberation so many times echoing throughout this narrative that Yitzchak is identifying himself as Avraham's son. To start, the narrative begins, Vayihira of milvad harav Harishan asher There was a famine in the land. Besides for the famine which Avraham already had, you see, the Chumash is comparing the famine Yitzchak experiences to the one and turn his father experiences, right? And Hashem has to tell him, "Al tered mitzrayim." Yitzchak, don't go down to Mitzrayim. Don't just because there's a famine in Eretz Yisrael. Don't escape and go down to Mitzrayim. Now, why would he have to go down to Mitzrayim? Explains Rashi. Well, that's what his father did when his father experienced the famine, right? So it's so clear again that. Yitzchak is really attempting to follow his father's footsteps. Hashem says, don't go down to Mitzrayim. That's not the place for you as it was for your father. And then Hashem says, you're going to be A-OK. You're going to be A-OK because I'm going to fulfill the promises made to your father. Be mindful of the promises made to your father, Avram A-vicha. And then he reiterates, you know why you're going to be successful in the land of the Plishtim? not on your own merit, but because Avraham listened to my promise. And thus he enters the land of Gerar, the land of Plishtim, which in fact had been a place that his father had sojourned to in Parsha's Vayera. And if this weren't enough, if we haven't heard enough echoes and reverberations of the Avraham story here, well, what then happens when Yitzchak is in Eretz Plishtim along with his wife Rivka? Yitzchak becomes concerned that people are going to prey on beautiful Rivka. And he therefore says, Rivka, let's go undercover here. Say you're my sister. Vayomer achosihi, says she's my sister. Kirei lomar penyar He was afraid to say wife, maybe they'll kill him. Now this sounds awfully familiar. I know someone else in that very place, the land of Plishtim, who played this game and said the wife was their sister. That's of course exactly what Avram and Sarah did. Yitzchak would not earn the creativity award here. He's doing, engaged in the same tactic which Avram did. And the strange thing is, the plishtim are falling for it again. Finally, it says, the king of the plishtim, Avimelech, is praying on some Rivka, wants to abduct her, which is exactly what happened also in Parshas Vaye, Avimelech prayed on Sarah. And then finally, the narrative concludes, or we have a drop more to go. It says, Yitzchak dug wells. Which wells? Vayashav Yitzchak v'yach beraz be'eruz ha'mayim asher chafri bimei Avram Ovev. He dug the wells that his father had dug. Vayishtem amplishtem, which the Philistines had stopped up. Achri Mosav Ram when Avram died. Vayikra laham shemuz k'shemuz ha'sher kar laham And he called these wells by the same names that his father had given to the wells. Yitzchak does not dig his own wells. He digs the same wells that his father had dug, and he even calls them by the same name which his father did. It is so clear that Yitzhak is not towing the lawn. He's doing everything exactly like Daddy did, down to even the way he digs wells. And certainly the sensitive soul hears a deeper symbolism to these wells, The wells of his father, which had been stopped up after his father died. It's not only the physical wells, but the wellsprings of his father. His father's teachings of monotheism, chesed, meaning everything his father represented, everything his father, the fountain of possibility his father had left the world, which which had been stopped up, which people had hindered after his father died. Well, Yitzchak is reactivating that legacy of his father. That's Yitzchak's role. And then yet again, Hashem appears to him in a dream, and he says, "You're going to be okay. Anochi Avram I am the God of Avram, your father. You're going to be okay. Bavur Avramavdi, in the merit of Avram, my servant." And then finally, the parasha, this narrative concludes at the end of the story. The Plishti, the Philistine nobles, both Avimelech the king and Fichol the general. Say we want to strike a pact with you, Yitzchak. Now that's exactly what they did with Avram. The same figures, Avimelech and Fichol, struck a pact with Avraham, and it's more than that. They call the place of the pact Be'er Sheva to mark the pact. Well, you recall in Parshas Vayera, at the end of the Avram story in Eretz Plishtin, when Avram made a pact. With Avimelech and Fichal, the place was also named Be'er Shava. So it's such a repeat story. It's almost cutting and pasting the father's story here applied to the son. Well, in the context of Parsha's Toldos here, a Parsha all about the generations, what we're beginning to see is that while on one hand the Parsha begins and ends with its bookends about how Yitzchak will pass on a Mesorah to his children, the middle of the parasha is dealing with, this middle narrative with its pattern, is all about how Yitzchak in turn is receiving the legacy from his father Avraham. There is a deeper meaning to this structure of the parasha. Focusing both on how Yitzchak is a father to his children and in turn how Yitzchak was a son to his own father Avraham. The message being, I believe, a message to parents to successfully pass on a tradition to your own children. You must have been a good child yourself to your parents. It is only because you command the respect of Masora from previous generations. You are carrying something larger than yourself. You're carrying... The weight, the authority, the gravitas of Mesorah from previous generations, that in turn you have something impressive and potent to pass on to subsequent generations. It is only because Yitzchak was faithful to his father's Mesorah, as reflected by the narrative in the heart, the middle of the Parsha, that he in turn, in Parsha's told us, in its bookends, in the beginning and the end, can be passing on a tradition to Yaakov. As an individual, we are all limited. And I would dare say that as individuals, our children can find faults and limitations in us. They do, of course. If not when they're young children, certainly by the time they reach teenage adolescence, they begin to see the parents' Achilles heels, the parents' limitations, which we all have. So simply standing on our own two feet, the power of our Masora might be limited. The child could say, does Papa really know best? Does Mama really know best? But it is when the parent is larger than life, you see. It is when the parent is actually the bloodstream of a mesora from previous generations. They're carrying a lot more than their self. They are bearers of a sacred tradition. Then the child needs to hearken up. Then the child needs the parent as that linchpin, as that conduit. to the Maso Revolt. And now what I would like to do is to take this entire thesis which we've developed throughout the Parsha, this notion of toldos in its varying sub-narratives as they come together and see how it is actually spelled out in the opening pasuk in our Parsha. Because like any good piece of literature, an essay or a Parsha always begins with a topical thesis sentence. If a human author writes an essay that way, certainly the divine author the Repar Shalom, begins a unit in Torah such as a Parsha that way. So let's study the opening thesis sentence of Parsha's Toldos and see how it lays out this very issue, the notion of the linchpin generation. For Yitzhak to pass on, he has to in turn be bearing something from the past. So our parsha begins, told Toldos Yitzhak. These are the generations. These are the children of Yitzchak. It begins discussing Yitzchak as a father to his own children. But then it continues, Ben Avram. Yitzchak is the son of Avram, and it re-underscores Avram holidas Yitzchak. Avram gave birth to Yitzchak. And commentators, including Rashi, are troubled. Why does it need to stress this Yitzchak Ben Avram character? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Avram gave birth to Yitzchak. That seems superfluous. But what we are beginning to see, so simply and succinctly in this opening pasuk, is the pasuk is fusing together Yitzchak's role as a father to his children, Veila told us Yitzchak ben Avram, back to Yitzchak's own experience as a child to his father Avram, Holidas Yitzchak. The two are connected. For Avram to pass on, he has to be passing from, passing on from Avraham. And this sentiment is further reflected by a medrash on the above cited pasuk, which says, You know what it means? Grandchildren are the crown of the grandparents. It speaks of the toldos phenomena not as simply parents and children, but grandchildren to grandparents, which in actuality reflects that there are three generations, which means there is a middle linchpin, the parent, bridging, who's the bridge, who's the conduit, who, as we called, we called it, was the bloodstream of Mesorah, from the grandparents to the grandchildren. I think the Medrash is seeing that in this Pesach, the grandparent to grandchildren phenomena, because, as we said, it is dealing with Yitzchak as a bridge, passing on to his children, Veila told us Yitzchak, because, in turn, he was a child from his own parents, Avram, let us Yitzchak. I must say somewhat humorously in this regard. You know, there's a famous joke, irreverent joke, which is not very nice. That why do grandparents and grandchildren get along so well because they have a common enemy in the middle generation? So certainly many a truth was uttered in jest. There are certain tensions between the generations. Between the immediate generations, parents and children and those parents in terms of their own parents, dynamics which might skip which might might not be present a step removed in the generational tree. Grandparents to grandchildren who could get along. But I think our parsha and its opening thesis topical sentence is seeing here a healthy promise that despite the difference, the difference is, whatever inability there is to fully appreciate each other in the immediate sense ultimately parents and children are children to parents they come together in this long chain that you see the, the beautiful relationship between grandparents and grandchildren is, is not despite that middle generation who might be res- who the joke is telling us resents is resented by both but chas v'sham ultimately a, a, a healthy Paradigm can be achieved here. Grandparents are relating to grandchildren because there is the the the, the child in the middle of the parents who are actually the conduit, who are actually enabling this because they they found a way to relate to their parents and they are in turn finding a way to relate to their own children. Differences notwithstanding. And so certainly at this stage in the year, we can take a deep breath. We have the rewarding sense of consistency. The Parsha coming together. We can own the Parsha for ourselves. We got it. And what it's all about. And how it, its particular storylines are not simply devil-in-the-detail particulars, but part of something larger here this most fundamental, relevant, timeless issue, Misora generational bond. But there's more to it than that. I would like to suggest further that understanding this Parsha, our Parsha as we have, sheds light on arguably the most enigmatic, mysterious of the Avos, and that is Yitzchak Avino. Because, you see, Yitzchak Avinu is the least present in the Hamish. He leaves the least formidable, visible footprint, you might say. Avram is the protagonist in Lech Lech Vayer, a part of Chay Sara. Yaakov is the protagonist, on the other hand, in parts of Toldos, Vayetze, Fayishlach, Vay, Vay, parts of Ayeshev. Yitzchak is protagonist only in small parts of our parsha Toldos, and this is a uh, an enigma. Can't be that Yitzchak's contribution is less meaningful. Apparently, Yitzchak's contribution is a different contribution. It's a contribution that can be limited to parshas Toldos. Why so? It is because Yitzchak is all about generational continuity. Yitzhak's role, as we studied in the middle narrative in our parsha, is not new. It's not to be creative. He's the son of the innovator. He's the son of the revolutionary Avraham. We don't need new projects now. Now we need fortifying of the old model to pass it on to the next generation. So Yitzhak will not be doing new... Engage, he won't engage himself in new enterprises of biblical proportions. That's not what he's doing. He's in, his one contribution, as Parshas told, was keeping it going from Avram to Yaakov. And the keeping it going is no less meaningful a contribution. While innovators, mavericks, revolutionaries, are exciting. At the end of the day, so many great ideas fizzle out after the first generation, whether in the realm of Kodesh or in the realm of cult. The continuity, just to keep it going in the second generation, to keep the great project going. Perhaps less exciting. It takes a lot of discipline. This is kind of the Jew who we call the Baal Misora, I will do things exactly like my father did because we need to keep this Misora going. Less exciting than the Maharash, than the one who's creative. But equally impactful imperative, this is Yitzchak Adinu. Because, of course, Yitzchak Avinu's personal mida and trait is gvura or din, which means discipline. Not chesed, which means not only love, but creativity, as Avram embodies. But Yitzchak's role is gvura, discipline. Yitzchak is that stickler. As the Tata did it, as we saw in our passage, I'm going to call the wells by the same name. I'm going to in exactly the way my father did not find personal expression. Now, again, of course, to... Uh, in a postmodern era which looks for newness and adventure, we find that stickler less attractive. But we understand, of course, that ultimately it's that stickler, it's that balkfura that Yitzhakavino that keeps it going. Yitzhak is appropriately the toldos extraordinaire. He is appropriately the protagonist of our parasha. This is, the, this is his footprint of Chumas, told us and told us alone. No less meaningful a contribution than the adventurous undertakings of an Avram or a Yaakov. But now this raises a question. The question which it raises is, if our parsha is a celebration of toldos, a celebration of Yitzchak Avinu, a celebration of generational continuity, a celebration of not veering from our parents, doing things the same way, does that model really work? Think about it. Different generations have different needs. Does the stickler approach, we will do things exactly like our parents did it, does that actually promote Masorah? Or might at times that undermine Masorah? If there's no willingness to adapt, not adapt the content of the Masorah, of the Torah Khalila, but to adapt the approaches, styles, the Masorah will actually die. That we can actually take pride in while the substance of our Torah is the same, as practiced by previous generations, our babas, our zedas, Ezra, Rabbi Akiva, Moshe, we sing differently, we think differently, we emote differently. I think even a few generations ago would be very surprised if they'd walk into shul today and hear how instead of Chazanis or other sort of cantorial models, the different different approach to tefillah, not only in the music and the liturgy, but in terms of the way we feel it, the way what inspires us. And it's true of all aspects of Avaita Hashem. And these stylistic changes, not chalila content changes, these stylistic changes from generation to generation, this creativity, is what makes a Torah shaim, what makes a living Torah to be passed on. So there's something to be grappled with in Parashat Toldos. Developed as we've developed it, as the model story of Masora and how it works, from grandparent to parent to grandchild. Yitzchak, as Mr. Discipline, Mr. I'm gonna do it, exactly like Daddy did it. name the wells the same name i am going to I'm-going-to-be-busy-with-his-well-springs-not-digging-my-own. Well, something seems incomplete about that. You need some sort of balance here. Actually, to promote Mesorah. And in fact, this very tension between creativity and stickler, and how Mesorah cannot simply consist of the stickler, but means the kindred spirit of the Macharish, that too is dealt with in our Parsha. That too is addressed in our Parsha, we will see as we sink our teeth even deeper to it. Because as Parshas told us, as the Parsha about the generations, it deals with all challenges and all issues related to this. Because let's have a look. What is the elephant in the room question in our Parsha? Not just a little question, but the most troubling, vexing issue in our Parsha. Seems to me the issue is, Yitzchak, don't you get it? Yitzchak, Rivka seems to see things so clearly. Of course you need to pass on the blessing and the misora to Yaakov. You're going to pass it on to Esau? In fact, throughout the Parsha, you, Yitzchak, are favoring Esau? As much as you have this drive to connect to your son, Esav, a son who you have certain shared personality traits with, Midas Hadin, a son who you enjoy eating his game, his his hunting game, a son who you wish to be Makarev, but at the end of the day, this is the future of the chosen people. This is the future of what we call Klai Yisrael. Imagine where we would be. Imagine where Yiddishkeit would be if it wasn't... A Yaakov, but an Esav. And Rivka seems to see it so clearly. Yitzchak, what's going on? And statements of Chazal that somewhat address this question from the perspective of, well, Esav pulled the wool over Yitzchak's eyes. Yitzchak didn't really fully appreciate the true character of his children because Esav deceived him. Such explanations only go so far, because it has to be on some level Yitzchak knows more than we're ready to let on, that he lets on more than we're than some are ready to give him credit. And this is Yitzchak Avinu with all the insight of one of the others. So I would like to suggest that the answer to this elephant in the room meta question in our parsha is actually remarkably simple, and the parsha spells it out explicitly you recall that we read he called Esav to bless Esav because Esav was bino his older son, the Bechar Yitzchak understands there's a certain protocol in the family that the primary successor is the firstborn and that's why he devoted all of his energy and all of his attention or Primarily, at least, towards Esav. Esav is the firstborn. Protocol dictates, as Yitzchak understands, Esav is the correct child. Now you're going to ask, but oh, hold on. Esav is the correct one? What do you mean? you got to make an adaptation here. Yes, perhaps he's the Bihar, but he's not suitable. Yitz- Yaakov is more suitable. But you see, Yitzchak's entire modus operandi, the way he functions, is not as a echadash, not through creativity he studied, but continuity is, is the moral compass. Stickler is the virtue of Yitzchak, digging his father's wells and calling things by the name his father did. So it becomes so apparent and so clear that Yitzchak, sees his strength in maintaining protocol rather than questioning protocol even if the protocol is questionable the protocol in a family is the Bechar is the special one, the firstborn is the special one so Yitzchak will say I should make changes, I should make adaptations just because I would be tempted to make a unilateral personal decision I don't do the personal decision stuff if I was doing the personal decision stuff, I would Khalila be dropping the ball of my father. I'm keeping the old plan going. Yitzchak gets it, but Yitzchak knows what his mission is. His mission is to be a stickler, and a stickler does not question, does not undermine protocol. This is Yitzchak's neshama, Yitzchak got it. And this also begins to explain some of the dynamics in Yitzchak and Rivka's marriage. farsham asked, why doesn't Rivka tell Yitzchak? Hello, hub, don't you get it? Why is there not conversation here? You got the wrong son here. Your focus is going in the wrong direction. And all sorts of suggestions have been said. I will posit... Rivka does not have this conversation with Yitzchak because she knows Yitzhak, she knows Yitzchak won't listen. Yitzchak's whole mitzvah is gvura. his whole purpose, of, his whole modus operandi is gvura. Think about it. His father Avram bound him on the mizbeach, bound him on the altar at the time of the akedah, and Yitzchak did not flinch. Yitzchak, in the akedah, conceptually speaking, binds himself up and restrains himself. To what daddy has to say. He always listens exactly to his father. In fact, you'll notice back in Parshas Chai Sarah, he accepted his father's shidduch input. Yitzchuk was largely uninvolved in his own shidduch. As much as generally marriage is a right of entry into adulthood and individuality, Yitzchuk doesn't function that way. Yitzchuk just accepts his father's shidduch decision. It's Avram who finds the shidduch. Because this is a unique Persona this Yitzchak. Yitzchak is all about doing things the way the father did it. Yitzchak is different. So Yitzchak's not going to change a protocol of Bihar and family functioning. Yitzchak's Mr. Balmasod, And I'll let you fill in the other adjectives you would use to describe such people in your own life. So Rivka doesn't argue with him because she knows it's not going to get anywhere to argue. This is Yitzchak for you. But this is Yitzchak doing the right thing for Yitzchak. But what Rifka understands here is marriage is a partnership. Two spouses working in the same towards the same goal, do not do the same things. They both have their own input. And while at times, there can be discussion and direct collaboration, sometimes... The gap is too wide when both need to do their things and hope it will all come together and balance itself out. Now, this could be scary. This could be mismanaged. It's a risky business, what Rivka's doing, working behind her husband's back. Before you do, the, before you do this at home, think twice, perhaps. If you're a daredevil like a Rivka and that confident to do it, Rivka sees the odds are that great. She's dealing with the continuity of quality, Cheryl. But there's this general idea that we can appreciate and apply to our own life. Different spouses, different parents who, in a healthy way, do their own things to make an ever richer, fuller home and parent child relationship. See, so understand that it's Rivka who knows adaptations need to be made Rivka's midah is not Gevura is not discipline and sticklerhood Rivka's midah we recall was chesed she did chesed for Eliezer and the camels her midah is chesed which means not only love but initiative and creativity she knows at times we need to make creative decisions in the misogynist so she says yeah I will do something so audacious, so ambitious, working behind my husband's back, switching the birth order, so to speak, the blessing towards the intended party, and playing with destiny and the future of the Jewish people and, in a sense, the world. Because Misora actually requires creativity. And ultimately, it all works out. The Mesora continues to its attendant place to the, to the Yaakov because you have both a Yitzchak and a Rivket at work. You have the stickler Jew, that guy in Shul who says exactly as the Tata did it, and that guy with the stopwatch, we will doven just as long as the they doven last year and a generation ago. And you have the person who's creative and open to adaptations. There's a certain healthy tension in Jewish life we need between the two. Many machlokas in and call Yisrael, of course, relate to this issue. The no change versus the intrepid, creative spirit. Many times it becomes apparent that there are certain imperfections with, with the old model, at least in its applicability to the present generation. And there'll be new ideas, but there'll be resistance to it from the old guard. You think about movements like Hasidus and so many other movements. Painful as these fights might be, I believe there's actually a certain health in this tension—the tension between creativity and stickler, unchanging, in the immutable perspective. If Judaism is this ongoing creative project, it's going to lose its soul. It's going to lose its essence. Go look at some. we some deviant. Forms of Judaism leave us. So you need that stickler balmasora, and at the same time, the stickler balmasora. Well, I, I must say, you could turn equally to some failed models which don't perpetuate the present. Are the present generation recognizing the present generation's need? It's a yitzchak and a Rivka. and you could use a hundred examples. It's a satmar who wants to recreate Hungary in the Carpathian Mountains in upstate New York, on one hand and it's, a, it's no less a Reb Weinberg who's pursuing Kirov and new ways of reaching out. You need both in Kval Yisrael. That's the Yitzchak and the Rivka model. The fact that things work because there's a Yitzchak and the Rivka, the fact that if it was only a Yitzchak model, the Toldo's project wouldn't have worked. It would have, The, the bracha would have ended up with Asaf due to Yitzchak's commitment to Mesorah that would actually undermine Mesorah. Exclusive Perpetuation of the Old actually defines the Mesorah, uh, actually defies the Mesorah, actually undercuts the Mesorah. It's not viable in the next generation. So Rivka, who's the heroine of the story, highlights for us Toldos in terms of not only the name, but the whole issue of Mesorah works because there's a Rivka to modify Yitzchak, to balance a Yitzchak, which makes an ever richer Jewish people, which makes an ever richer Mesorah for Kal Yisrael. So now we can take even further ownership of Parsha's Toldos, and its overarching theme. This Parsha of parent-child bond, dealing with the bloodstream of Mesorah from grandparent to parent to grandchild, is really an exhaustive treatment of the subject of Masora it deals with all of the issues here, including the great tension between creativity and the stickler. And really talks to what we need what we what we need to continue the Toldos project, to continue the Great Missora project in the present age. So it was my pleasure to present tonight. It was my pleasure to really trace this cohesive pattern to the and hopefully walk away with here within an impactful idea, an idea which is of relevance, an idea with contemporary resonance to it, inspirational in terms of Misora as the bloodstream of Misora. Thank you very much. Any questions? Um, yeah. yeah um